I'm not a 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot, but instead a horrifying skeleton body about to birth a vampire baby dennering. Whoa, that was a long one. <laughs> I'm Connery, big gulp full of blood, Hanson. Ah! Nice. And this is the terrifying franchise. This is the franchise podcast, and today we are talking Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. Oof. The Yes, the fourth installment in the fr- Twilight franchise. The fourth, the, the spookiest, the grossest entry. <laughs> I guess so. I think both of us have not seen this before, mm-hmm. and it was quite a shock. Yeah. But uh, if you've been to Home Depot, you should buy that 12-foot, uh, that 12-foot skeleton. <laughs> Hopefully, they're selling them countrywide. But we're joined today by returning guest, Haley O'Brien. Hello. Nice to be back. Hi. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, of course. Anytime. My favorite you were pod. You're on our, our, your favorite pod. Oh, you know it. Aw. Is this the only one you listen to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, currently, yes, but not previously. Uh, okay, I'll still take it. <laughs> not take previous. It. You were on our Legally Blonde the Musical episode, which I think is like episode 20 or something. Something like that, so. yeah. Go ahead and go back, check that out, everybody who's listening. And uh, I may have some musical questions down the line for this movie, even though it's not a musical. <laughs> you can always make anything into a musical, Tyler. It's very true. I, I was shocked to learn, Haley, that I, I watched My Big Fat Greek Wedding the other day, and I was shocked to learn it hasn't been made into a musical yet. And I was wow. I was flabbergasted. I was like, how? I think they did do an off-off-Broadway they're trying to get it there. I'm surprised it's been made there yet. Like, I know that it was originally a play. Yes. And then was made into a movie. But, like, how is it not a musical yet? It just seems like it'd be so natural. It would be. I think, Connery, we should do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> there, there are a lot of musicals <laughs> where I'm like, let's do it. Hey, Connery, you should write this musical. Today I learned that there's a Lord of the Rings musical, or there was. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awful. The orcs dancing around is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> that sounds good, but it's probably not even like bad good. Honestly? Like, it's not like Oh, sorry. Huh? Go ahead. I was just going to say it's not like Spider-Man turn off the dark bad good. It's just like <laughs> probably pretty bad. Yeah, it's just it's just off-putting. Like the I remember a few songs from like the Lord of the Rings musicals, maybe more actually more like one. And it was kind of like their version of like Into the West or something. And it was just so bad. And like a Sauron song with like the orcs kind of like fist pumping around the stage. It was just, just like, what a mess. To be fair, there is like a good musical of The Hobbit. Because I count that. The TV, like oh. the the little like short series of The Hobbit that was animated. That has music oh, in yeah. it. Yeah, Frodo yes. the Nine Fingers. Fantastic music. They should just have converted that to a stage play. I was pretty sure that they that there's like this animated series that has the the songs. Or is it just one movie and I just feel like it lasted forever? It might just be a really long, long animated movie you're thinking of, but I feel like I'm singing songs from the Return of the King animated movie. Yeah, you yes. are, because I haven't seen yeah. that one. That's it. I've seen I've seen The Hobbit, which I think is definitely, I think this is not the right franchise at all for this episode, (laughs) but I do love The Hobbit cartoon. I would believe that it was a miniseries on TV or something, so that's why I'm just like, oh, like, I would believe that. Yeah. And then the uh, Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings animated is really creepy and weird, Mm -hmm. and I love it. And then I've never seen The Return of the King one, which I think is, like, Rankin Bass. That one has great songs where there's a whip. There's a way. We don't want to oh. go to war today, but the Lord of the Night says, nay, nay, nay. It's so that, good. Did the orcs sing that? Yeah. The orcs sing that song. Wow. 
Wow, that's inc- that's very powerful. It is incredible. It brought me to tears. <laughs> I wish there was some sort of musical element to this movie because I think the first 40 minutes are pretty like intentionally campy and just kind of fun. But They're also, nice. Yeah, it's nice. And then <laughs> the next hour and 20 minutes of this movie are just kind of horrifying. Yeah, I would classify I just... this movie as like a horror romance almost. I would classify yeah. it as like a body horror movie. Definitely, absolutely. But I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I guess we should talk about anything that we have been consuming recently. And I don't oh, mean no. I don't mean the two veggie sausages I just ate. I hope you spat your gum out. <laughs> yeah, I ate some gum <laughs> afterwards because I'm like, oh, they'll smell my breath on the podcast. <laughs> my veggie sausage breath. All the way over in wherever me and Haley are. I'm not going to dox us. <laughs> in Rio de Janeiro. Ooh. On, on uh, Esme Island or whatever the hell it's called. I'm on top of the Jesus statue. <laughs> Haley, have you been, is there a certain thing you've been watching recently or reading or listening to? Oh. Anything you care to share? Good question. I've been reading a lot. I just finished this fantastic book series that I wish I had known about sooner. Um, the David. Is it called Twilight? Yeah, it's called Twilight. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, have you read it? Um, it's about no. this vampire <laughs> and uh, werewolf love triangle. No, this other book, it also has a love triangle sort of in it. Um, and it's called the David Bad series. And it's set in the Middle East during the Napoleonic period. And it basically assumes that all of the Middle Eastern folklore is true. So the three Ooh. main characters are like this all-powerful genie and then a Muslim prince and this pickpocket. And it's just a really good time. So that was fun. That sounds cool. Yeah. And then as for things that I've been watching, I just finished the Korean series, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. Have you guys oh. seen that? It was fantastic. No. no. Is it on like Netflix? Or? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It was, I was really pleasantly surprised. It's, um... It also has like a fairy tale aspect to it because the main characters are um, two brothers and one of the brothers um, is uh, handicapped mentally and then the other brother is a caretaker in a mental hospital and then there's this um, young girl that's like the counter to them that like they form this sort of like weird off-putting family and she writes like horrifying fairy tales for children and it was just great it was a really good series hmm. that sounds pretty cool yeah it was weird but it was good what was that called it's okay not to be okay it's okay to not be okay on netflix and the book series was called uh it's the dave and bad series but the first one is called city of brass city, city of brass, brass. Mm-hmm. not city of brads not city of brads <laughs> i thought lost... you said city of wrath <laughs> <laughs> the lost city of brads Oh my god! I watched that movie the other day, Tyler. What's called the lo- like this is the Lost City of Z? Yeah, that movie's intense. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie, but I like the Lost City of Brad's, where it's just like, where did all the Brad's go? We have to find them. I have to spend thirty years to go find them. All the Chads try to find the Brad's. <laughs> is this a real movie? Because I'd watch it. <laughs> Connery, what's new with you? Uh, what is new with me? That's a good question. Uh, past and future guest Joseph Horn came over and helped me install my first gaming PC, which is fun. Ooh. Yeah, so that's hooked up to my TV now, and it's sitting pretty and looks great. Um, I've been delving into Skyrim again, which looks great on a gaming PC. And yeah, I've just been playing around with mods on that and just kind of exploring other games I haven't tried before, which has been a really fun time. Uh, 
picked up some of Crusader Kings 3. It's a little difficult for me, but hopefully I can actually learn how to actually enjoy that. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I have finished the Harley Quinn series. And again, I, I can't recommend it enough. I had a great time watching it. I think everyone should see it. Nice. Yeah, that's on HBO Max, right? Mm-hmm. It's the animated series. Yeah. I yeah. think you mentioned it a little bit last weekend. Yeah. Or last week, whatever. I, I, yeah, I definitely need to check it out. I, I have found myself watching less and less for some reason. Don't know why. Just in general. Definitely need to just kick back into it, but... It's not because I'm really doing anything else productive. <laughs> because, Haley, you're talking about reading, like, a whole book series. I'm just like, hey, I bought a book, but I don't know when I'm ever going to read it. Lily and I did go to a drive-in movie theater for the first time. Oh. COVID started and everything. It's actually the first time I've ever been to a drive-in movie. Oh, sweet. Nice. What'd you see? Um, <laughs> we saw Unhinged, the Russell Crowe Road Rage movie. Fine. Oh, Wow. Because there's nothing good playing right now. Uh, we were going to see Tenet Friday, last Friday night. But So there's two drive-in theaters that I know of. There's one in Montclair, which is very far from LA. It's like an hour and a half drive-in traffic, basically from central LA. And we weren't going to make it in time. So we just waited till Saturday to go to the Vineland Theater, which is mm-hmm. in the city of industry. For anyone in the LA area that's interested. The city um, of industry! <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a city of industry. It's there's just a bunch of like big drills Factories. and trains and stuff. But um, shout out city of industry. <laughs> but we saw Unhinged because we both have a mutual. Uh, I don't know if it's you could necessarily say love, but like at least profound interest in modern day Russell Crowe. <laughs> and just like what the heck is going on like ever since we saw the nice guys i think which came out like four years ago yeah when he's just like a little more burly and just like sucking down yoohoos and uh about a boy is that what that's called no it's not about a boy sorry that's the chris white's movie um oh my god a boy erased that's what it's called Boy erased mm. russell crowe plays the dad in that and mm. that roger ailes miniseries he did for showtime i think He's just like a bigger boy now and he's doing kind of more wild projects and it's just we're kind of more interested. He's in this like weird Nick Cage mode basically I think where some of the things really hit and other things are just like not good. He has the body of like a defeated private investigator which I'm kind of into. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why he it's so good in uh The Nice Guys. I really like that movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, unhinged. He's a maniacal road rager that's trying to kill this lady who like oh was God. kind of rude to him in that he, she didn't say sorry for honking at him. <laughs> <sighs> it wasn't. It wasn't good. But it was, it was. It was pretty fun, honestly, to go to a drive-in movie. Regardless, um, regardless mm-hmm. of what's playing, I do definitely still recommend it. It's like the closest semblance to seeing a movie, at least in Los Angeles right now, at a theater. Like, you drive up, and, like, they space the cars out enough. They make people move around so that you can see the screen. And it's, like, socially distanced and stuff, so it's safe. Um, And you just tune into an FM station to listen to the movie while you're watching it. And we Uh just brought some blankets, and I have, like, a SUV. So I just backed up and just, like, opened the trunk, and we brought some blankets and, like, some little candles and sacks and stuff. And it was honestly pretty nice. It was, like, seeing uh, if anyone's ever been to, like, Hollywood Forever for like screenings and stuff like just like an outdoor movie screening it was it was fun so oh, that sounds really nice i love i definitely recommend Friends. it the movie was bad but it was a good experience <laughs> that sounds like a nice date night <laughs> yeah and honestly it's kind of hard to find date nights right now because there's a lot of places in la nearby that like 
the seating is outside, but it's like right next to a busy street. So it's like, do I really want to just like suck in a bunch of gas? I don't yeah. know. We did eat at Doghouse. How fun! <laughs> Connery's favorite Doghouse. You sent me that picture. And I'm like every every single fucking time it's Doghouse. <laughs> I feel like anytime I see Connery and we postmate something, so. pretty much it's like religious almost. We're like we're like, what should we get? And, and at this point, it's almost a running gag of us just being yeah. like, doghouse, and then just exactly. getting it. <laughs> like, it's still good enough where it's, like, still good. It's not like we're ordering, like, all due respect to Wiener Schnitzel, <laughs> but I think the doghouse hot dogs are probably a lot better. Mm-hmm. It's just a different kind of hot dog, but this is a hot dog podcast. We're talking about <laughs> Twilight Saga breaking dogs. Dogs, brats, and other stuff. <laughs> Jacob Black would approve, I'm sure. <laughs> he would. <laughs> But uh, I've totally divested from anything related to this podcast. Um, we should talk about the movie. I just want to make a note that we're recording this about a half an hour to an hour after the first presidential debate. I don't uh, really want to get into it. I doubt either of you either. I just no. want to tell everybody that it's been a weird night and everybody should go vote. So please, please, please vote. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all I have vote, to say. <laughs> vote with your heart. Vote, vote good things, please. Yeah, hopefully don't be a mean, mean or evil person. Mm-hmm. Vote. Hey, Honestly, like- Tyler, I wasn't going to watch the debate until you texted me to be like, are you watching? And I was like, ah, fine, I guess I got to sit there and watch <laughs> I was, this. I was holding you accountable. Well, I think we covered the whole pre-show of this episode. <laughs> I think it's time to get into the and actual more. movie. To get a little more general first, Haley, what's your experience with the Twilight franchise? Like, all oh, let me <laughs> tell you. I was a die-hard Twilight fan, Team Edward, when the first yeah. book came out. For this podcast, I whipped out my first edition, Breaking Dawn, August first 2008. Edition. I remember you reading that Chuck and Berta's. Yes, because it arrived. I had it mm-hmm. sent to Chuck and Berta's. You, you missed vital play um, rehearsal time to read that book instead. <laughs> I did. I needed to know what was going to happen to Bella and Edward and Jacob. Um, and I was, boy, was I surprised. I w- did not expect did what not happened. Expect. Um, yeah, I was diehard fan. I freaking loved Twilight. And then... After the fourth book came out, it, it dwindled. And then when the movies came out, I actually, I did not like the movies personally when they first came out. I just didn't, they felt so like dark and fun and there was just a way of putting yourself in it that it felt so real. And then when I watched it on screen, it was like sort of revealing all of the flaws in the book that were so easy to just sort of skim mm-hmm. over as you were in the experience of reading it. And mm-hmm. so I didn't like it. And then when I went to college, I had like a resurgence of love for the crazy, uh, problematic and lovely still uh, franchise of Twilight series. And we'd have like Twilight marathons in my dorm room that were super fun where we'd watch all the series all weekend and then nice. know, eat junk food. You know, college. college. <laughs> I tried to blur the background, but Willie's just <laughs> What What are you doing? <laughs> she's logging into her Netflix on. on I mean, I I am using her computer, but she's she's checking a relevant oh. movie, The Ooh. Devil All the Time, because Robert Pattinson's in it. I don't remember where I was. Oh, in this, yes. and so I have to check like because I'm opening it up on the TV like out there, <laughs> and I just don't remember at all where I was. You're 68 minutes in. 68 minutes okay I'm this is really a <laughs> stuff like this is my favorite thing keep in the this. world i'm going i'm going to try desperately to keep yeah. this in i can't hear you 
<laughs> yeah, keep this but, all in, Gari. Where's the camera? It's uh, <laughs> up here. It's behind the second frame of. I, I blurred oh, you. This is COVID uh, podcasting at its finest. We're so natural and normal and human, just like all those other shows. I'm sorry. I'm doing a painting, so I had to come get, like, a plate for, like, a palette. And then I was like, oh, I should check where I was in that movie. Lily, you're doing a painting? <laughs> I'm sorry. Hi, Haley. Hello. Okay. Good to see you. Right. I'm sorry. Everything. This never happened. Now we're keeping it in. This is going to be the longest That's fantastic. Episode. Where nothing happens. <laughs> Perfect. It's just like Breaking Dawn Part. Well, I guess stuff doesn't yeah. happen, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with it. Yes, let's talk. Let's talk about this lovely, flawed, wonderful. Breaking oh, I'd love Dawn to. Part. I'd love to start with the wedding, just to be honest, which is like I guess the start of the movie. Yeah. No, I mean, sorry, Connery. I'm oh, sure, fine. We start, and it's right. where <laughs> you're the guest. And, we'll do whatever you it's, want. It's where Taylor Lautner pulls off his shirt in the very beginning and goes for <laughs> right. an angry run. <laughs> where is he angry running to? No one knows, but he. No, all we, we know, do know. Oh, we we do? know he's going he's to Canada. Right. He, what? He's going on a murder <laughs> spree in Canada. He's going to Northern Canada. He. He sees the wedding invitation, immediately just has to take off his shirt and go for a run to Canada. And I support him. Does he say Canada? I don't yeah. remember that. He does. Wow. When they're okay. dancing, he says he was somewhere in northern Canada. I totally missed it. Oh, man. Well, you weren't paying enough attention. Clearly. clearly. I know. I was too distracted by the You didn't take 10 pages of, of notes like Haley did. <laughs> Because she quote unquote misses I exactly school. Do. I feel you. I get like that where I'm just like, I miss having the rigid structure of education. I just really miss like being in lectures and taking yeah. notes and learning. Right. Like if I could do that for the rest of my life, I would. Which is probably why while I was watching this movie slash while I was rereading the book, <laughs> I took 10 pages of notes about Bella's journey and how this book and Breaking Dawn, especially part one, at the very end, fulfills In Bella's this essay, I will. Person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, I thought that was really important because when I saw the midnight showing of Breaking Dawn part one, that was the part that got the most applause. Like, people stood up, people screamed. It was just, it was the best part of the whole movie I really, for a lot of people. I'm really excited. You I feel know, like the past few episodes, shirt. we've had different people on. Like, Epiphany was our, like, Twilight super fan. Um, Chesso was our lore master. And Haley, I'm looking to you to be the scholar. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. Let's, Let's talk. talk. Let's do it. You're talking about like the la very last shot, right? That you're saying that's what people like the most. The Is very it? first shot, basically, of Taylor Lautner and the, the, off his shirt. and oh, the full the resolution shot. being yeah. when she opens her eyes and is a finally a vampire. Her dream come true. Yeah, but like on a serious level, I think it's all about her becoming mm -hmm. right. Like, I think the reason why young girls really love Twilight, me included, is because. Bella is this character that, like, never feels like she fits in, right? Like, she gets sent from Arizona with her mom. She comes from a divided family. And she, like, just never feels like she fits in. And then Edward makes her feel like she's mm -hmm. a part of something. And then in Breaking Dawn, at the very last shot, she becomes a vampire. And I think she not only, like, becomes a vampire, but she, like, 
finds where she's supposed yeah. to belong. And then, like, the second, I mean, we're skipping to Breaking Dawn part two, but, like, there's a bunch of drama in that and, like, fight scenes, but she already has sort of completed her character arc in a way. So... I wanted to elaborate on when you said, like, her her complete character as a human. Like, her human body literally dies, and she is reborn as a vampire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also... I I was just saying, which is is interesting. I feel like it plays to your point very well with, like, her character arc being complete, and now, like, she is... Like, she, her, her human form died. Like, her human body literally died. And now she is back as, like, what she's wanted to be. Her full resolution. Now she's a vampire. Definitely. And I think also, I know that this is skipping ahead. And I'm sorry, like, sorry, Tyler. But, like, <laughs> I feel okay. like this specific movie is the first time that Bella really takes a stand against everyone and just does mm-hmm. what she wants. Now, however we feel about that, like, that's a whole other thing. But, like, she does for the first time in maybe the entire series go, no, I want this specific thing and none of you guys want it, but I want it. And mm. so I'm doing it. Um, I'm not doing it for Edward. I'm not doing it for Jacob. I'm not doing it for anyone else. I don't care about how anyone else feels about this. I'm doing this because I want to do it. And because this is what I think is right. And so I think that is also a big character arc for her. Like everything else. I she would does agree. Yeah. We, we had epiphany um, talk about how, Bella's like our lens like she is basically us like like substituting like we are Bella but this movie she does make yeah. you're absolutely right she makes very much choices that kind of make her her own character and her own identity definitely and when you go to the book this is the f- only in the first part of Breaking Dawn Jacob Black it switches to his perspective oh, I, I don't know not. if you guys know that in the book it goes from Bella and then right when she, you learn that she's pregnant, it switches to Jacob Black's perspective. And I think out of the entire series, it's probably my favorite part of the entire series. Like, it's written so fun, and he's such a fun character. His first, the preface of his series is one page. And then, like, the only line left is, I should be so lucky. And then you flip, and then his whole part starts. And it's just fun and quippy, and you see Bella, like basically getting murdered by her baby um, Mm -hmm. from his perspective. And then it stops when she opens her eyes and then it changes back to Bella. So like part one of Breaking Dawn um, has like Bella, but then also in the movie, like you don't really see that perspective change. I thought they did a good job with it, but it also is a, a big part Jacob. So it's like the first time that it's not just seeing the world through nice. Bella's lens. So that's the first time that the the perspective of the books switched to somebody else, right? To Jacob? Yes. Yeah, and I will say to that point that I feel like this is the first, like there's definitely more Jacob stuff going on here. Like obviously he's in all the other books slash movies, but this really feels like the first time. I think this is like this weird synergy thing between the character and Taylor Lautner, the actor, where I actually feel like he's giving like, a solid performance, dare I say? He's doing better movie? than every other werewolf <laughs> cast member on, on like his part. Like literally, he's the best in his like faction. This is the first movie that he's giving a performance where I think it's like, oh, it's like I'm not. There's not something weird about it or like annoying. Like I feel like he's mm-hmm. doing like a good job. So <laughs> I was almost taken aback and like surprised by that. It definitely gives him more to do than I thought. Oh, absolutely. I also don't want to launch into this right now because I feel like we'd be jumping ahead. But I. 
love so much the werewolf council meeting. Like, even how it starts, like, everyone be like, Jake, 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 where are you going? Where are you going? And it's just all happening so fast. And him, him he always talks about, like, werewolf telepathy. And then, like, you get to kind of see it, hear it firsthand. <laughs> no. And you didn't like that part? I don't like how they talk oh to each other. Oh, my God. I don't like that. I that they was should just, awesome. They should just communicate to each other, like, through, like, nonverbal ways. And you, you get it. But it's just like, I'm a werewolf. I'm Taylor Lautner. You need to. I, I am the that. grandson and of a like, chief. It's like, you must listen to me. I am the leader. And it's like, oh God, that was probably like oh my, my God. favorite scene, just because it, it just felt so like. I literal. loved it. It wasn't conveyed in any kind of naturalistic. I way, loved it. I thought it was so much fun, and I really that's probably my favorite scene in the whole franchise so far. Like, I, I like that scene a lot. Yes, no. yeah. I thought it was awesome. I got literal chills. I was. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> Wow. I is... don't like how they change their voices when they're yeah. in wolf form, but I love the idea of the way that the pack communicates. And like, it's really big in the book. And I thought that they did a good job trying to translate mm-hmm. that to screen. Like, I think that they made it work. I find a lot of things with like the transfer from like book to screen kind of campy, especially in Twilight. Like, the way that they move quickly, the way that they, there are like slow motion shots, not so much in this one, but in other Twilight movies, right? Like it's like, it goes slow-mo. They have the least amount of camp because there's like the least amount of that kind of, well, I don't know. The end, the whole like, I'm pregnant with a vampire <laughs> baby thing, you could maybe classify the entire idea it's, as campy. It's, it's yeah. all melodrama, yeah. And yeah. I think Phil Condon is like the good choice for that. He's fantastic. But yeah, just talking about before jumping ahead, just like this the scene itself, I, I totally agree, Haley, where it's just like I, I guess I wouldn't mind so much if it was just them talking like telepathically and like being calm and having the same voice, but it's just like now that we're in our our werewolf form, we have to be like it's primal it's cool i don't know why you guys don't like it i thought it was so cool i thought it was so much i thought it was awesome felt sort of like a mockery without outwardly being like Mm. we're mocking this you know like oh we're taking it serious but it felt like mocking because it is crazy like it is when you look at it from an objective outside eye it is totally like campy but when you're inside the character's head reading them as a prepubescent <laughs> child, <laughs> you're like, this is so serious but, and real. But let's like let's you look know? at this like this world council me from like Tyler, you say it it would probably be really cool to have them just like growl at each other and be wolves. I just want one or the other, not, not both, both at once. I think they just, just didn't make a decision, and then it was just both, and neither both sides. I guess you're right because they, they've never given us the werewolf telepathy before. Like in two or three, we never got that, and it just comes yeah, out it, of it literally does come out of nowhere. So that's why when it happened, I was like, okay, they're talking. I, I and I I like when monsters talk. Like it's my favorite thing in the world. It's kind of okay. Like, can you compare it to like? Attack of the Clones, maybe, where Yoda suddenly pulls out his lightsaber. <laughs> like, it's kind of a moment where everyone's just like, I, I didn't see this in theaters, but I remember seeing Attack of the Clones in theaters, and everyone's just like, what? <laughs> when Yoda pulls out his little lightsaber and flips all over the place. Like, it's both kind of cool and really <laughs> ridiculous, and it just kind of jumps the shark, I think. But I don't know. Like, it's, I mean- whatever. <laughs> I love the aspect of it. Like, I think it's a really cool concept. I love yeah. the idea that, like, the wolves communicate. And it's, like, a really big part, especially since, like, again, in the book, you see a huge part. Like, Jacob mm. is narrating. So, like, you really see a big part mm-hmm. of the pack. And, like, it's such a fantastic dynamic that I think they do Sam so dirty. I think they do all of these. Yeah, they turn Sam so into, like, a tyrant. Where he's um, just like, he's like, no, we're going to kill that baby. Oh, they do. 
he is such a good character. I think his whole, like, <laughs> the weirdness between him and Leah and Emily is, like, a yeah. huge, amazing thing to explore. The fact that he even said, like, to Jacob that you should take over the pack, and Jacob says no, and then Jacob gets mad at what Sam is telling him to do, and then takes off on his own. Like, that's a whole dynamic to explore. And Sam, in the book and in the movie, I think it's pretty clear, but way more in the book, that Sam is really for the protection of the pack and the people of Forks, where mm-hmm. Jacob is just about the protection of yeah. whoever he loves. Yeah. And it, you know, is sort of fickle because at one point he wants to kill Bell, like kill, kill the baby, yeah. you know, kill the Cullens. And then like all of a sudden when the pack wants to kill Bella and the baby, he's like, oh no, don't do it. So he's a little more fickle about that, where Sam is very stark and true about, he has a very clear picture in his own mind of what's wrong and what's right. Whether that's true or not, that's up to you to decide, but... He has a clear compass. He also was the first one to turn into a vampire, I mean, into a werewolf. So he's been the one that's had to deal with, as people turn, having to keep them all yeah. figured he's out. He's like the werewolf father. It's his job to keep all these, like, kids in line. Like, they're all kids. They're yeah. children. He's the only grown man among yeah. them that's like, I have to manage these, like, prepubescent boys who are turning into monsters. That's my thing with, I think, in the, I think it was in Eclipse where uh, Jacob says, Oh, like I could have been the pack leader, but I turned it down. Sam offered it to me, and I'm just like, honestly, Sam, <laughs> Sam should be the pack leader because Jacob doesn't care really mm-hmm. about his pack. He just wants to protect Bella. So it's like, if you're gonna elect someone, you know, like <laughs> you want them to do <laughs> your best interest, he'd be a selfish leader. He he's he he's impetuous, and he he goes with like what he feels is yeah. right in the moment, which is sometimes the right thing to do. But like, I don't think Sam is right in like going right. to try to like kill a baby, but. It's like the threat it represents is obvious, right. but Haley, you're right. They do him real dirty with him just like doing a total heel turn and being like, no, I just want to kill all the colons. Just, I don't know, because even though he keeps saying like, Jacob, the colons aren't an issue. They aren't our enemy. Like a thousand times he says that. And then like midway through the movie, he says, oh, nope, we got to go kill them all. It's just super odd. Yeah. Well, and one of the positives of having that pack mentality, like, is that they see what Bella is the second that Jacob transforms into Mm -hmm. a werewolf again. So, like, they see exactly what's happening, exactly what Jacob has seen and heard and feels, and they're reacting on that. In the movie, you don't see that They say that, like, the connection's been severed when, like, Jacob left the pack with, like, the two other wolves. Yeah, that's after. So, like, right when Jacob finishes seeing Bella for the first time and like what she's become this like basically just like an incubator mm-hmm. for a monster child they're seeing all of that and there's like a lot more to it into the book that I wish that I mean like they separated the book into two parts for these two movies and they changed quite a bit kept out some things that I'm a little mm. appalled that they kept out while yeah. we're talking about Jacob and like the werewolves and when he imprints on Renezme and the wolves all honor his imprinting i was super curious i was like he is not part of that pack anymore it seems really weird that they would honor the imprinting of an outsider of somebody who's betrayed the group i I was so shocked i was like if i was alpha i'd be like we're breaking a lot of rules tonight the treaty's done this man is a traitor along with these two other people i we're not backing off like this is bullshit Wow, that's really interesting. I've never thought of it that way. But that is very true because he does Yeah, it's, it'd be pointless. I'll, the, Edwards is like, it's a werewolf. I'm like, 
but he's not part of the pack anymore. He's a lone wolf. Like, what argument does he have? I think the only thing that I could say to that is that imprinting is so rare. Like, imprinting was... But all werewolves do it. In in the movie, they say, like, two other guys do it. No, they don't. There are four people that have imprinted by the time that Jacob is able to imprint. But before Sam and Emily, they didn't... Like, imprinting was known as a myth. And then it happens, and Sam leaves... Leah for Emily because of it and it's this huge thing because everybody thought it was a myth and then it happens to like four other people in the pack it happens with Paul and Rachel who is Jacob's sister who's like not in the movies at all Jacob has a sister Jacob has a sister he has at least two if not three but I think if he has three then the two are already married and like grown up and then Rachel is like closer to his age and like Paul imprints on her when she comes back from college in this book in Breaking Dawn and then Quill imprints on Emily's kid. So there's already like a precedence of a child being imprinted on, which we can talk about no. the ethics of later. <laughs> Stop. Um, anyways, but it's supposedly a myth. And then Four it other happens, times. but it's not for everyone. Obviously, nobody's imprinted on Leah because most of the characters in this movie spend their screen time in this movie telling Leah to yeah, right? shut up. Oh, and it I know. sucks. <laughs> That's the same in the books, actually. That's like what no! they <laughs> Lily mentioned it when we were watching a clip. She's like, everyone thinks so mean to right? Leah for no reason. And then like we were joking yeah. about it. I'm like, uh, like I want to bring it up, but we like, ran out of time or something. I just forgot in the clips. And this time, it's like an inside joke between me and Lily. And then all of a sudden, they're just literally like what has be- what was subtext just <laughs> became text. And everyone is just verbally abusing Leah for just trying to do, just trying mm-hmm. to help people. <laughs> sucks but i totally thought imprinting was a natural part of like the werewolf process that like all werewolves would eventually Mm. imprint on someone of their choosing i didn't realize it was like it was a rare thing at all yeah the whole idea is that it's super rare and that they didn't know it could happen and that's one of the reasons why the whole thing with leah and emily and 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 sam was was such a big deal i think that's the workaround to your question that like the really good question that you posed connery which is why they would accept and even revere the relationship between Rinda Esme and Jacob as gross as it is. And it's because imprinting is like sacred above, I think, mm. even pack ties, technically. Because it's it's supposedly I think in the book, um, Edward like describes it to Bella because he can see into their <laughs> minds and he describes it as midsummer night's dream. Like this idea of like a mythical, magical Midsummer Night's Dream oh, wow. kind of love. I, I just can't yeah. wait for Jacob to groom that kid. It's going to be great. No, <laughs> stop. Horrible. I'm, Horrible. Stop I'm cutting it. this okay, out. Let's go back to the beginning. Can yeah, we get yeah. Back to the beginning? Exactly. To the beginning. I was I was going to say, I feel like we're, we're, we're either starting too obtuse or oblique. I forget the difference <laughs> between the two words. So I just want to start with some little pre production stuff before we Please. get into the movie proper. Just in that, like, Stephanie Meyer herself is the one that said that this book should totally be turned into two movies because Mm -hmm. the book is so long. She didn't think it was possible, though, because of Renesmee, I think. Yeah. Right? Which I don't fully understand because, again, I haven't seen Breaking Down Part 2 yet. (laughs) But she's like, oh, the only way to convey the baby Renesmee who has, like, full consciousness as a baby is through CG. But CG is improved. I'm just like, what what does any of this mean? I remember, Haley, I remember you telling me this. I remember you telling me this, that Chuck and Bird is like, the baby has full consciousness. I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, what does it mean? So, So, okay. So, Mackenzie Foy 
is the face of all the the baby and then i guess in part two we'll get to it but they mapped her emotions cg cg wise onto the i don't they uh, avatar her face We'll we'll get to yeah, that next episode. Yeah, you guys episode. can talk about it next episode. I work in visual effects. I have for three years now. And let me tell you, we were not at a place. Or at least they didn't use the right vendor because it really yeah. it fell flat. Oh, yeah. I will say, like, okay, I know I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> we keep doing it. Bella's horrifying skeleton body does look a lot better mm-hmm. than it should in 2012. Oh, yeah. Looking at something like Tron Legacy, a movie I do really like, that de-aging stuff is kind of horrifying. So, like, the fact that they're able to make her look kind of realistic and also terrifying, like, that's what horrifies me so much. But, okay, so, director Bill Condon, he was the one that was chosen. They wanted to have, like, an Oscar-nominated director do this movie. These last two movies. And it was, like, down to Sofia Coppola, Gus Van Sant, and Bill Condon, apparently, which is pretty wild. Before Mm -hmm. this, Bill Condon directed things like Candyman 2, which isn't super great, but it's his first movie. Gods and Monsters, which is about the film director James Whale. I think I've mentioned that on this podcast before, who directed Bride of Frankenstein, which is referenced in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he went on to co-write Chicago, one of Lily's favorite movies, and The Greatest Showman. Oh, wow. Both? He's a song and dance girl. And Dream Girls, which was <gasps> Dream Girls yeah, too. Yeah. He yeah. wrote and directed Dream Girls, which came out like this is that was the movie before this that he made. Tyler, have you so. seen Dream Girls? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, go okay, good. That movie's awesome. Yeah, Eddie Murphy's really good. In he it too. is. Yeah. But there's this huge back and forth because the contracts for the actors was only for four movies, and like they couldn't decide like how that was all going to go down. And eventually, I guess like Summit Entertainment or whatever, like the production company was like oh like we'll go ahead just like with bryce dallas howard for victoria like we'll go ahead if somebody needs to be recast we'll make the movie i'm like that sounds pretty intense <laughs> like that was probably just a negotiation thing but it's just like would you really go through this movie if jacob was just a different actor that'd be, <laughs> that'd be super weird, weird. <laughs> chris hemsworth is jacob black oh my god like oh, i'd the- watch that <laughs> no you I'd wouldn't understand lautner plays him for like two movies and then like you <laughs> get chris hemsworth <laughs> He's just all tall, and no, it has to be like, uh, dang it, which Skarsgård is that? The tall Skarsgård is suddenly uh, Jacob. Yes. You know, he's supposed. Jacob is supposed to be taller than Edward, so oh, that would really? make sense. Because he is shorter in the movies. Yeah. But. yeah. If he was tall, he might be more imposing and actually be like, oh, this guy could kick kick Edward's ass. Like every time Jacob and Edward Jacob and Edward square, I'm like, Edward could kick your ass. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> And that might just be the confidence that Robert Pattinson carries with him as that character and just being like, nah, I can take you on. (laughs) Okay, this is really controversial, guys. But Uh I love Robert Pattinson. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he's he's very attractive. I was not happy with his casting as Edward. And I think he would agree with me. I don't think he wanted to be cast as Edward. No, he's very pissed off about Um, it. As as, like On record, he doesn't like this. I think it's a yeah, stepping stone just, kind of role. Mm-hmm. I didn't picture him. He's too pasty white boy, in my opinion. The way that they dressed him and like presented you, him. That's the do word. you have a good like, idea of who you'd like to be, Edward, or casted as him? So when I, and I'm going off of middle school me, <laughs> right? Because I feel like she's the most honest about who should have portrayed what. Please. But middle school me really thought that the guy who plays Stefan in the Vampire Diaries should have played Edward. And I don't know his name. Paul, I think, is his first name. I'm looking it up. It said Stefan Vampire Diaries. The first thing on Google was Stefan Vampire Diaries shirtless. Oh. <laughs> exactly. That's Paul. what I'm talking about. 
Paul Wesley. Yeah, he's who I pictured, I think, when I was reading it. Like, that, like not him exactly, but I thought he fit better than, like, Edward as Robert Pattinson. There was just something about, like, I really love Robert Pattinson. I think he's fantastic. I think he's very attractive. I love him in a lot of things, like Harry Potter and everything else he's done for the most part. But I just yeah. didn't feel like he really fit Edward to me. I'm looking at pictures of Stefan right now. I see what you mean. He's got like a real square jaw. He seems like somebody yeah. being a real man's man vampire. Yeah, and he plays a vampire in the Vampire Diaries. What? He clearly <laughs> knows how to do it. I know. What if uh, Patrick Stewart played Edward? <laughs> oh, now we're talking. I'm a monster. <laughs> I hate it. Sorry, keep going, Tyler, with your pre-production stuff. Yes, all this stuff is very important. It's very... <laughs> it's no, dignified I and it refined. Too. I agree. It, it's both dignified and legitimizes both me and the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff that I pulled off of Wikipedia. Yes. Um, Bill Condon said, I, you definitely feel it in this movie, especially the first 40 minutes. Not just, okay, so Carter Burwell came back to compose a score for this movie. He did the score for the first movie. And coincidentally, okay, so he's from the, he does a lot of Coen Brothers uh, scores, but coincidentally, he also scored the Goofy movie. Ooh. One of the best movies of all time. Yes. No <laughs> um, argument. Uh, he came back for this, and Bill Condon made a point. He even said it to like press or whatever. It's just like this feels like kind of a companion piece to Catherine Hardwick's movies, uh, aka Twilight, mm. the original Twilight. Omg, um, I totally sorry not to cut you off again. No, um, but I totally like got that vibe because yeah. especially with like the music callbacks, mm. like for Flightless Bird is called back. Yeah, during the their yeah yeah the wedding scene where they're kissing. Versus, like, in the first Twilight when they're dancing. Because I am a fat house cat. Which was Kristen Stewart's suggestion. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. that's oh. that was her. That was her. Pick. That was great. I, I was so like when they play that song, I was like, this is from the first movie. This is great. It's their song. It's awesome. Yeah, she chose it in the first movie. It's a good callback because it's like, yeah, it's like a franchise callback kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like it, it means a yeah. lot to them and it means a lot to the audience. So that's that's great. From the scene that I always call the pagoda scene, but it's actually the gazebo, it's gazebo. scene. <laughs> With her broken casted foot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that song comes back. Bella's lullaby comes back mm -hmm. as, a, as a minor theme throughout this movie, mm -hmm. which is the scene that Edward cranks out on the piano in the first movie. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, a score of other instruments come playing in. It pissed me off so much. Instead of just the piano. <laughs> I uh, was putting on a playlist the other day of Twilight songs on YouTube. Because <laughs> I was listening to the nice. Uncle song when Jasper's training them to fight yes. the New Bloods. Is that what they're called? New Bloods? Anyways. They're, they're newborns. <laughs> just, newborns. Newborns. Thanks. Newborns. <laughs> not, not young bloods. Not new yes, bloods. But, I kept uh, calling it, them it, young it, bloods for like the longest yeah. time. <laughs> It eventually went to uh, Bella's Lullaby. I'm like, oh, this is nice. And then I look and it's like three hours of Bella's Lullaby. Ah. I'm like, honestly, I would listen to this for three hours. It's good. Yeah. But that's an aside. Um, <laughs> I think Bill Condon really was like, I totally understand their hiring of him in terms of the context of this movie, at least the first 40 minutes before it gets really like, well, I kind of get the whole thing because I feel like his filmmaking style really, like he's very influenced, I think, by both like 30s horror movies and 50s melodrama mm -hmm. in a way that it really suits this movie, especially the melodramatic elements. Like there's so many lines in the beginning of this movie before the wedding that just like don't seem like anything would ever, anybody would ever say. <laughs> 
but at the inverse of that it feels very melodramatic in that way like a douglas sirk movie or something it, it reminded me a lot of like something like far from heaven which is a, a similar thing that's just like kind of a satire of 50s stuff while also being an appreciation of it mm-hmm. so maybe i'm reading too much into it but i just like have followed bill condon for a long time as a filmmaker and it's just like such seems like such up his thing even when edward talks about how he's like such a bad guy and he's like oh I mean, Edward just wallows in his own guilt way too yeah. much in this movie. It sucks. But he's like, he oh. It's the Catholic guilt. It's the Catholic yeah. guilt. <laughs> this movie's way too Catholic. <laughs> um, he's talking about how he would kill people, but it's like, you know, I only killed people who killed people. He was you know, a Dexter. Kind of thing, but. But the movie he's watching is The Bride of Frankenstein, which James Whale directed, Ooh. and I know Bill Condon's obsessed with because <laughs> he made the movie Gods and Monsters, which is about James Whale. Nice. So. Yeah, that's just my little notes. I don't know how important that really is. I really was into that vibe until like the second part of the movie where it just like really doesn't feel like really Bill Condon at all other than like did he really want to make like a monster person? I don't know. He really wanted the baby to burst forth alien like from her womb. <sighs> yeah, it's I will say it's more terrifying to me personally than anything in any alien movie. Yeah. And I mean that uh-huh. like the alien franchise. Cuz they like stay true to like uh, actual birth happening with like doing a cesarean with no morphine and it's a nightmare. That the whole birthing sequence is so terrifying to me. Okay, let's not jump there you're yet. Right, you're right, you're <laughs> right. We, we, we keep jumping so far forward. We should dwell on the positive things like the wedding, which... Yes, let's start with the wedding. Yeah. That's a nice scene. Yeah. So let's talk let's about the it. wedding. I just want to say, first <laughs> off, I'm so surprised that Charlie and Bella's mom are a little bit more like, I think you should wait, Bella. You're 18. Like, I don't think you should be marrying this guy right out of high school. It's kind of odd. Oh, no, she's an old soul. Oh, so old anything soul. that she decides to do is clearly very well thought out Ugh. it doesn't it just doesn't seem like <laughs> that way because <laughs> like she complains about even having the wedding in the first place as um alice is setting everything yeah. up she's like is this a bit too much and alice sets up the most beautiful wedding i've ever seen <laughs> it is beautiful she doesn't want to have the wedding yeah like this is for edward the wedding is for edward so. she just wants sex yeah she just wants she wants to be a vampire that's what she wants she well definitely- yeah is like gonna throw up while walking to the altar. Like she's just so yes. disgusted. I, I liked her dress though when they showed the back of it. I'm like, you have like little angel wings on there and all that stuff. That's kind of fun. They they dwell a lot the on the back of her dress. Deal. The dress was a very big deal for us fans. That was like one of the big things that people were waiting to see. There were leaks and there, but they they did like a huge deal to keep the dress under wraps before fans could see it in the theater. Mm. And I thought that it was well worth the wait. It was a good Mormon classic, beautifully (laughs) modern and also vintage slash modest. It meant that thing like modesty, but like elegance was there too. Like the back of the dress is where all the action is. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, and the front is very plain and like, you know, modest. And then much like Bella maybe, who's plain and modest, but maybe wants to be elaborate and beautiful. Look at that. Hey, Bill Condon makes a point to shoot that insert of the back of the trail of the dress, which I think is kind of important for like a wedding Mm -hmm. scene. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if every director would do that. So like his attention to detail for those kinds of things, I do really appreciate. But yeah, I yeah, do like the bail trailing. Yeah, exactly. More important than my feelings on the dress <laughs> that you brought up that's like Mormon modest in a way. And <laughs> I didn't realize until very re- like reading about this movie that 
Like, I, I didn't read too much into it, but I didn't really realize that, like, Stephanie Meyer was, like, inspired by Mormonism. Do you know about that? Like, can you elaborate well, on that? Stephanie Myers went to BYU. Like, she is a Mormon. Mm-hmm. So a lot of her religion does play out throughout the series. I think especially with Edward, who is definitely sort of this ideal, like, he's supposed to be, like, this ideal guy, right? Like, he really pushes for marriage before sex. Like I said, like the Catholic guilt, right? Like he wants to so desperately cares about his soul that he thinks that isn't savable at this point. Once he become a vampire, he has like a lot of conflicts about that. I know you guys talked about that in the last podcast, so we don't have to go on, dwell on that. <laughs> but a lot of that does come through, I think, in her writing. And in the way that especially like Bella dresses, the fact that she always in the book and in the movie, like the idea that she she dresses modesty. And actually, I do think it's a good point to bring up this idea of modest and Bella because Bella continually and constantly, I don't know if you would call it modest, but she undermines sort of herself. Like she's sort of like, she says, oh, I'm not that beautiful or, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't deserve that. Or like you, like somebody will compliment her and she'll automatically be like, oh no, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's one of the things that I think young girls liked because we all feel that way, that we're not pretty enough or not, you know, we we don't meet the ideal. And so it's nice to have this idea that, like, you don't think you meet the ideal, but everybody else does. Um, but she really does, like, really underplay herself constantly where she's clearly gorgeous. And I don't know if that's modesty or if it's actually just her being annoying. Yeah, if she's just like, oblivious. To the point of, like, stupidity. (laughs) Like, and I don't know, it's more clear, I think, in the books, but also in the movies where she's, like, just constantly, like, down on herself when everybody else is very much positive about her. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, also, Edward's down on himself and everyone's positive about Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, but he's never like, I'm ugly. He's like, I'm a vampire. Yeah, he he <laughs> dwells beautiful. on, I'm a monster. I'm a murderer. You can yeah. never want me. And Bella's like, but I do want you. You're beautiful and amazing. He's like, oh, say more nice things. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, we're married. I'm going to wear lingerie for you. And then he's just like, ha, 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 ha. It's like, wow, <laughs> dick. Like, totally. That's, that, you think that's going to help her self-confidence? No. Like, you're just oh, laughing that's so at funny her. That, that's so so funny. Okay, we'll get to that. I will say during this wedding sequence, it's the happiest I see Bella's character. I was having so much fun just seeing her happy because throughout the past three movies, I've seen a scowl on her face throughout the entire time. She has never once expressed any ounce of happiness or joy other than maybe like, I want to kiss him. I'm like lusting after Edward. She is just happy. Like in this wedding sequence, she's just happy. And she's smiling and having fun. I was having a really good time just experiencing her being that way. Like, the character I haven't seen be happy, actually be happy for, like, a few given moments in this movie. Yeah, and I would say that that's another one of my notes that I took on my 10 pages of notes between (laughs) the two. One of the things that you really notice between the books and the franchise of the movies is that there's so much more teasing, real, lighthearted fun between Bella and the, uh, the other characters, especially Jacob and Edward. Mm. She teases them and she laughs with them. And a lot of times her lines that get directly translated into the movie in the book seem like they're a little bit more set in play and said like for fun and sort of as like a little bit of a tease mm-hmm. where in the movie, it's definitely um, translated as like very serious and very much just like she has two modes of like in love and yeah. upset. I don't blame Kristen Stewart for that. I used to as an ignorant child, but I think 
that the person to blame is really the people who decided that that was the way that they wanted to go for the movies. They wanted to make it like a very much a romance drama yeah. versus a teen book movie. Cause like of a romance. Yeah, Cause like in these moments we see she's capable of like expressing that and doing that. And it's such a bummer to me that I didn't see more of that. And, and I probably would have liked Bella a lot more if she was a little bit more like, like you say, like she would joke around and would like make people laugh and in turn, like, react to other people and smile and be like yeah you're funny like i actually care about you and not to be like i love you so much oh my god but like have the biggest like scowl on her face i, I don't know like i i was just having so much fun in this like wedding sequence because she's she is having fun yeah. and she is happy and it was that was great yeah and i think that it makes it more real too when i mean i am not currently in a serious relationship so tyler maybe you can <laughs> butt in here but um, I feel like it makes it so much more real when people are teasing each other and having fun together. And like, that's just so much more what love is, right? Like there are the serious moments and the like, but it's like so much more, it just feels more authentic when you have two people that you think that they genuinely are enjoying each other's presence rather than just like staring deeply into each other's eyes. Yeah, I think this is like the first movie probably where it's, yeah, they can actually enjoy each other a little bit, despite Edward being, like, full of self-hate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they definitely, like, tease around, especially, like, the, the bedroom scene um, before the wedding where they're just, like, hanging out and joking a mm-hmm. little bit. And it mm-hmm. just, like, feels so light and, like, like, nothing's wrong. Like, I totally forgot that they just had a giant vampire army fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> before this like it was really nice but yeah i would say giving each other crap and stuff like as long as it's like all tongue-in-cheek or whatever it, you can see their their relationship evolving you know in a way like that's that's what i mean like the melodrama fits with like the actual naturalism of their relationship as it grows yeah that it's just so weird how i really like like the first 40 minutes and then i just wish the whole movie was like that but yeah. then it has to like service the plot i guess to make her have a vampire i don't know but it's like doesn't need to say like the the whole structure of this book like i haven't read it obviously but it's just like i don't even know if it really follows like a typical traditional structure of storytelling or is it just stephanie meyer like writing things that she wants to write about and she'll just write it whatever like it's just it's just strange a lot of things that happen are just so strange i don't know how to articulate this okay we will get to that because i feel like i want to know more about what you didn't like about the second half versus the first but Continuing with the wedding, which is like, what, we're like 10 minutes into the movie, guys. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that is different that I thought was a brilliant change, and I'm so happy they did, was that they had all of the like beaches. Mm -hmm. That's not at all in the book, but I thought did such a good job of sort of bringing in the characters um, that aren't just Bella Edder, Edward and Jacob and yeah. sort of giving them little ton- tongue-in-cheek moments. Mm-hmm. I loved that part. It, I just thought it was so fun. It made me smile because I was like, I feel like my wedding will be very similar in the fact that I, I would want I want a whole bunch of people to give a speech. I have my notes here that I'm like, <laughs> I'm realizing the repercussions of letting a whole bunch of people give a speech, but at the same time, I want everyone to give a speech. <laughs> Like, Charlie gives that awkward, like, cop dad speech, which is just, like, <laughs> like, the guy, Billy Burke is just so good mm-hmm. in these movies. He's just, like, so, the only other person I was thinking of that would play, could play that role is, like, Ethan Hawke, because it's just, like, so weird, <laughs> that, typical role. That'd be a good for, casting, like, a too. franchise. Mm-hmm. But he's just, like, 
uh, you know, I'm good at finding people, so uh, if anything happens, like, he's just, like, so, so, so deadpan. And then Edward's like, just, like, smiling and laughing. He's like, I'd yeah, kill you, you stupid idiot. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> All the speeches are really good. Yeah, Anna Kendrick's being like, he didn't go after me. Student yeah. council president. <laughs> Just Anna Kendrick, especially okay. in this movie, it's like she's stuck through it all. Like the whole franchise, it's really cool. But at this point, she's like a star in, mm-hmm. in, in her own right. Her and the human friends looking at the cake and being like, "I thought it'd be bigger," and it's like huge. <laughs> I was like, "This is great." Anna Kendrick's fantastic, yeah. and I really yeah. fast just want want to touch on my own ideals. I guess like Edward is go, goes out on his bachelor party with uh, they're gonna hunt bears and cougars with like him and his vampire bros, and I was almost like. I really wish he had like varying age, like human friends who knew his secret. And like, he had like a 60 year old man who he befriended in like the 1960s who like knows. <laughs> and he has like a 17, like not maybe his age, but like maybe like a 26 year old guy who like he met like in a bar and their they buddies. They met biology class 10 years ago. Yeah, they met biology class 10 years ago and he figured it out. And like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I have like other human friends to make him seem more like relatable and not just like a vampire. I mean, he yeah. is pretty standoffish. Yeah, he's he's super standoff, he but it made me feel like he's more human in a way. Or Stephanie yeah. Myers is constantly like, he's human. He does have a soul, and I would be a lot more like, he has other friends other than vampires, and I I would have been really delighted to see something like that. And it kind of reminded me of like the comic book Sandman, where like Sandman like meets a guy who like says, "Oh, I don't ever want to die. Like I'm so I'm gonna like keep on living. Like you only die if you say you're go- you think you're going to die." And Sam is like, all right, I'll take that bet. And so he lives forever, and and he never regrets living forever, but they just meet up every now and then and talk and hang out. And I kind of wish it had that element, except with, like, age and, like, Edward kind of staying friends with, like, mortal people and being like, I do have a heart. I've learned my lessons of, like, kind of eating people and being, like, more open to, like, a human friendship. But he obviously doesn't. That's my own fan fiction where, like, I wish he we would have like seen something akin to that. He's just like I an 80 year old man. Who's his friend. Yeah. Like, hey. That would have been awesome. Are you kidding me? He's like, Edward, what's <laughs> going on? It's just like the beginning of X-Men origins, Wolverine Connery, where he's like friends with the world war two vet yeah. because Edward was in world war two. That'd be awesome. Yes. Like that's the kind of shit I would like absolutely applaud. I'd be like, yes. And it just make Edward so much more human and relatable. It'd be a character that I'd be like, it's not unbelievable for him to fall in love with a human because he invests so much in humanity. He already t- tells Bella so much that like, keep your humanity. It's important. It makes me wonder why he hasn't like befriended more humans throughout his life. He's probably very insecure. Yeah, he is. I think that's another thing we can talk about, which is the fact that Edward is 17 and he feels 17 even though he's 106 or I guess 108 in this movie. I don't know. As I was watching and reading, it's like he doesn't feel like he changes very much at all. Like he's supposedly Mm -hmm. somebody who is very much mature and old and wise. And yet he feels very 17, which makes the romance work because otherwise the romance between him and Bella just would be weird. Yeah, but not like it's not already i don't know he doesn't I, I maybe you guys have a different opinion but i don't think that he has much of a character arc throughout these books no i and I, I agree with you completely i i don't think he really transitions from anything like maybe in the, i think in 
movies or various books. Maybe he has like, I think, you know what? I take that back. I think this movie is the only kind of transition where he changes his mind. And that's when like he at first is like, I will hate this child if it kills you, which I was flabbergasted about. I was like, this is probably the worst thing he's ever said so far, which if he was kind of like a good person, he'd be like, if you die, I will love this child. It's, it's part of you. And I will take care of it and love it. But he's just so selfish and angry and petulant still that I was like, I was still surprised to hear. Like after the honeymoon where they have so much fun, just like, wow. Like you couldn't even sock up enough courage to like raise your own child. Like what a wiener. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. I think that there's this idea of Bella and Edward's love is like this idea of true love and pure love. And in fact, it's the most, it's portrayed as like, selfless like they both have this love for each other that goes beyond themselves that's the idea and that like each one of them is willing to die to not exist any longer for the other one to have happiness and survive Mm -hmm. and I think that that translates in Edward's choices about Bella over the baby because for him it's about Bella Mm -hmm. like it's Bella before everything Bella before himself Bella before his family. And for Bella, it's the same until this book where she has the baby and all of a sudden the baby becomes something more than even Edward or herself, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Before we get to that point, though. So we were at the wedding. Yeah. We love the lights, fun toast. That's great. And then she sees Jacob and Jacob is there and they're going to dance as like a special surprise for her wedding night. Her ex-lover comes to dance with her. Her ex-lover. Very inappropriate, Uh, if you ask me. No, it's very normal. It's very very normal. (laughs) It's Edward's gift to her. Every bride gets to dance with her ex-lover at the wedding. We all know this. We accept it. We welcome it. (laughs) Exactly. The guy who's still madly in love with her. And hates her. And hates her husband. I thought it was really interesting, especially on this reread and rewatch, that they make Jacob so much less violent, if you can believe it. In the books, he's yeah, more violent? Believe it. He's like, I guess he's less violent, but he's still just as angry. Yeah. He's just as angry, but less violent. Because in the book, he grabs her <gasps> and won't let go when he learns that they're going to have sex before she's turned into a vampire. Oh, my God. And he, like grabs her and shakes her and all like Edward comes and she does not break his hold like he she does in the movie. She is there and being shook and Edward says stop and then all of the werewolves come and say <gasps> stop and he still won't stop and they have to sort of pull her away from him. He's so much more aggressive in the books than in the movies and I think that they made him a little bit more um, tame not tame I think that they did it to make him sympathetic he's more sympathetic yeah he's he, he much more is like appealing to her but he doesn't I feel like he doesn't use reason he just uses anger even when like he's telling her to abort the baby he just uses anger I feel like it's the only thing he knows which is really upsetting to me like when he gives the argument to her when she's pregnant and like dying basically he just says like oh this is a really stupid idea you're stupid for doing this like he just really just prods at her with anger even when he comes down to her level at the end of it it's like oh, Bella this is a really bad idea just don't do this come on and I'm like 
it doesn't seem like you love this woman. You're not trying to be kind or nice or approach us in any like good way possible. He just seems angry all the time. I think he does really love Bella. I just, this whole time, I just feel like he's too young in a way. Like, he's not mature enough to, like, understand how to actually love somebody because he just, like, comes out as a very selfish approach because, like, I think he knows that she still loves him Mm -hmm. in a way, but he just cannot interpret that in any way other than just, like, male anger. Yeah. And it's just, like, he just can't interpret anything in a way other than just being like, you're mine. Like, he's just very possessive and, like, physical. Yeah, and he hasn't even, like, imprinted on her or anything. Like, if he he really liked her or, like, loved her in, like, the werewolf sense... And it doesn't happen until he sees the baby. And I don't, I don't know, man. Like watching these movies, I'm always like in in Camp Edward, like just always watching these movies. It's really hard for me to expect anybody to be Team Jacob uh, watching these movies. I'm like, Jacob's just really, really intense and violent. Yeah, I mean, Edward has huge flaws as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I'm I'm coming to you as a hardcore Team Edward <laughs> supporter. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna as... say that you're wrong. As a hardcore Team Edward person, did you like his sideburns in Eclipse? <laughs> no. Oh, hell no. Again, though, I didn't think that Robert Pattinson in general was the right call for him. So I don't know. I think that they downplayed Jacob a little bit in this. But even with that, you see craziness. Something that I thought was really interesting was they took it out of the movie, or it wasn't in to begin with. But when Jacob sees Bella for the first time as like a pregnant person being eaten yeah, by her baby. A pregnant skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> Edward and him have in the book a heart-to-heart sort of Uh it's like at each other's throats but a heart-to-heart where they like go into a separate room edward is completely defeated because he just feels like he's killed his wife and jacob agrees and then edward tells jacob to go talk to her and to say that if she wants babies she can have babies with jacob what but to like a to take away this baby that's killing her. Like he's not going to stop her from having babies with anyone, whoa, whoa. specifically Jacob. Whoa, so, whoa okay, okay. Like, this, this changes everything I know about vampire anatomy. Like hold the phone. <laughs> so he tells Jacob to go in to talk to Bella to convince Bella to get rid of this monster baby that's killing her. And if she wants babies that Edward is of course Totally 100% fine with her having Jacob's babies instead. <laughs> what is <laughs> happening? So he'd be um, like their I mean, surrogate, their sperm donor. Vampires can still have children, but it just, what? What? No. No. Bella as a per- as a. Human. Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, I thought there was no going back at a certain point. Yes. No, as a human. And also in the honeymoon scene, which we've skipped over. Oh, I wanted to In the there. books, there's like a really lovely part that they took out of the movies, which is all about like Bella saying that she wants to go to college now and stay human for a little while longer so that she can have sex with Edward as a human continually. And get bruises um, and break beds and it's just fun. Yeah. How many? And she doesn't want to give up having human emotion. That was like her idea. And so she's like, mm. Edward, let's go to college together before she finds out she's pregnant. And I thought that was, like, a really lovely thing about the books as well. Like, again, them just being, like, a couple together rather than, like, just being, like, staring into each other's eyes madly. No, Um, I agree. And that probably would have opened her eyes to a lot more 
ideals and subjects if she did choose to go to college and not just circumstances. She doesn't choose to be a vampire outright. It it kind of like, it forces itself upon her. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more heartbreaking, I think. Mm. The fact that she gets pregnant and then makes her choice to stay pregnant and to become a vampire when she had just made the choice literally like minutes before that she really did actually want to stay human longer Mm. and that she wanted to go have a college experience with Edward. Yeah, they really don't touch on that in the movies at all. It, it, it's just like constantly her being like, turn me, turn me. Why won't you have sex with me on our honeymoon? I know I have a few bruises, but it's like I'm having sex with Superman. Like, come on, just come on, please, <laughs> please, God, please. And Edward's just like, uh, 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 no, no, no. To be fair, that's in the books. Too. Oh, okay. It, it, it just was so irritating that he's being so coy and ruining their honeymoon. I was just like, ugh. I think part of why it's hard to buy Edward and Bella's relationship is like you're saying, Haley, where it's like they both are like have like are selfless in their love in a way. So it feels like two people shooting arrows, but just like wildly like they're just shooting above, like above each other instead of just like there's just uh, that's probably a bad analogy. But basically, no, I I, I, I hear you. It's it's like they're both shooting in opposite directions and neither are hitting the mark. Yeah, it's just like it doesn't feel genuine because they're just like, oh, it's just anything for you, and the other person's like anything for you. But it's just like. Do they have like normal conversations though? Like those are the things that are important in a relationship. Like yeah. just everyday life. And it's just like seems so intense. And it's like, so I get Jacob's side of it where it's just like, yeah, she would probably have a much more normal life with Jacob, even though he can turn into a wolf. <laughs> Definitely. The, the problem is that he's just way too physically controlling and stuff. And so ab- abusive. Like, both of them are just bad. Mm-hmm. Well, both. he's kind of a child. Like yeah. he's really, he's just a boy. Like I think right. when Jacob grows up, He'll be a great guy, I'm sure. Uh, it's just, it, this character is such a boy. And he is, he's younger than Bella. And Stephanie Myers makes a really big point to be like, he is younger than Bella and he acts younger. But by what, a year? And Bella's supposed to be an old soul anyways. Uh, yeah, I think a year or two, maybe. But that's, um, like, so minimal in, like, the sense. It's but high school, bro. I, I, it's you, you're, yeah, you're right, you're right. It, you're right. It is high school. It is a big deal, yes. They're not like, it's um, not like 26 and 24. It, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that you also have to remember, like, Edward is 17. Bella is 19. Does Edward... At the per- end of it. Does Edward perpetually have the hormones of a 17-year-old? Or, like, it would make sense for him, question. like, the way he reacts to, like, situations and problems and not, like, fully mature as, like, a 106-year-old that he still acts the way he acts. Such a good question. Yeah, I would go with you. I'd say yes, probably. Mm. I think he does probably have pieces of him that's still very much 17. Otherwise, how could you keep going to high school? Yeah, I would lose my... I've, I've said it before on this podcast. I'd say it again. I'd lose my mind if I had to keep on... And when Charlie is looking at the wall of graduation caps, I'm like, world's <laughs> world's worst detectives being like, are yeah, these all graduation like... caps? And the mom goes... Oh, that's cute. And then he's just like, oh, yeah, I guess. All right, I'll leave. Lily was just like, what the hell? Like, how do they not know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's right in front of their faces. Haley, do they um, do they ever tell? Like, I know, like, Jacob's, like, on the beach. He's like, oh, they'll say she got in a car accident. They'll say she got sick. They'll say, like, all these things that happen. Is she, like, basically signing her, her warrant to never see her family again by turning? That's what she thinks. That's what they all think. Wow. I mean, you'll have to see part two to know for Uh sure what happened. See, that's just, that's tingling in my gut right now. 
You know, <laughs> Haley, I gotta say, every single person we've had so far on this series has like said something similar, and I'm just I just want to commend all of our recent our recent guests and our past guests of Twilight. Everyone's like, you'll just have to wait and see what happens because like I had no idea what was gonna happen mm-hmm. in this movie, and it was a total shock. I'm so surprised oh, that nobody was just like, yeah, some crazy stuff goes down. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like, well, you you'll see. see. Everyone was so conservative <laughs> with it and be like, well, you have to wait till the night till like breaking dawn. And we're just like, all right. And then we're just like, oh, <laughs> my right, God. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Fall into like a trap. <laughs> I like that Stephanie Meyer has another cameo in this movie. <laughs> yes. Hell yes. In the wedding. Yeah. hundred percent. I wish she was in every shines. movie, but I think she's just in the first in this one. If she were the new, what's his face from Marvel. Um, <laughs> she's the Stan Lee of the Twilight. The Stan Lee. Yeah. Of, <laughs> of the vampire genre. She should just be in every vampire movie slash TV show. Just, just yeah, pop just everything. Up. Yeah, because in the first one, she's just at the cafe and it's just like, here's your latte, Stephanie, or something. Like, whoever the barista is gives her a coffee, I think. Yeah. While she's working on her laptop. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, you know what? That plays even more into that whole idea that the director wanted to do sort of an homage to the first movie. Mm-hmm. Stephanie's in that one. Stephanie's in this one. Ooh. Comes full circle. Yeah. Apparently, when the wedding dress, like we were saying, was like a huge deal, um, even on set, like it was a big deal. Like they didn't want anybody taking pictures of it. So apparently, yeah. she, they put. It says specifically that they put a Volturi cloak over her to cover the dress. I'm just like, that's oh such a gosh. specific detail. Like, I guess they just had those sitting around, <laughs> though. So that's so weird because the Volturi isn't even in this first one. There's, yeah. like, no real conflict except for within Bella herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're just at the very end, and it's, uh, it's like, in the credits, I think. Now, okay, yeah, they are in the credits. That's true. I Maybe that, okay, you might be able to answer this question. I don't know. But <laughs> did, they, <laughs> did they film part one and part two together? Because part of me feels like I, I remember they did, but I don't know. And, like, the fact that the Volturi is in the very end credits, like, yeah. would sort of allude to the fact that they might have filmed both part one and part two at the same time. But they released them an, an entire year apart, where I don't think they even did that for some of the movies before that. Like, I think Eclipse and New Moon came out, like, six months apart or something. Yeah, they did. So if they filmed them together... You would think that they would have come out sooner. I don't know. I, I so that is something I'm curious about. You could find that, Tyler. That would. I don't good. know for sure. I will confirm it in next week's episode. Ooh. <laughs> oh, but fantastic. it would make sense that they filmed it back to back. Awesome. But I don't know for sure. I have questions about the Alaskan cousins. As <laughs> you yes. mean, you mean Yurina? I mean Yurina, who is <laughs> the lover of um, Latrousse or Latrousse. What's his name? Laurence. Laurence. Their existence in general and why they need to be seen at all. Yurina? More like, you're ruining the wedding. <laughs> you're ruining the <laughs> wedding. <laughs> she they wants to get in a fight. very important. They are here for a scene, in the movie at least, and then they are gone. No, they are back in part two oh, majorly. Thank God. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. But you are right in the fact that they were not necessary in this movie. <laughs> I mean, how like, many people that show up at your wedding are really necessary? <laughs> I guess good point. <laughs> There's a lot of obligatory invitations, like your Alaskan cousins, perchance. I love that. And these are our Alaskan cousins. I was like, this is why you want to go to Alaska University. 
Yeah. You got family out him. there. I barely know him. We don't hang out at all. Hey, Actually, so... one of them used to oh. date date Edward. Oh my god. Intrigue. Everyone Wait. says like Edward's like Edward's like, oh, I don't have sex till marriage. He got around. Edward fucks. Like, come on. Oh no, he doesn't. Yes, he He's does. He's hardcore virgin. He's a yeah, hardcore. Lily was like, is he like a, a virgin? Then like we were both confused. And like, I, I there's no way he can be. He's been around no. for 120 years, but. Apparently he's he's he been is. waiting for Bella. Okay, That's... he's been waiting for Bella again. That Mormonism sort of rears its, rears its, its head. head. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is poster child. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I don't believe that, but yeah. whatever. Edward's just been whacking off in the woods for a hundred years. A <laughs> hundred years. Oh my god! There is a part of the book where he's like. I asked Carlisle what to expect, and I asked my brothers what to expect, and he like talks about what they told him. But they're not married. Like Alice isn't married to Jack. Yeah, they are. They are. They're all married. I thought they were just dating or like a couple perpetually. No, they are all married. Okay, the movie doesn't make that clear at all to each other. Hey, well, since we're still on the wedding scene, um, (laughs) (laughs) I I just want to point out the honeymoon. No, we're almost there. We're almost there. Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. I just want to point out that, like, when they're doing their vows and then they're just, like, making out and everyone's gone, it's like, ooh, it's it's impressionistic. That's cool. And then, like, it goes to, or is that the dream the night before? I forget where. No, uh, like, that's part of the wedding. Yeah, the, the dream is when they're the on. the Pride and Prejudice dr- thing. Yeah, the, Go ahead. the dream when they're on, like, the mounds of bodies is, like, when everybody's in white and then, like, Edward's in red mm-hmm. has red and she has blood in her hands and they're standing on top of the wake of bodies. Like, that's, like, the night before the wedding, Yeah, right? that's the night before. Yeah. So it's, like, the actual wedding, like, that's nice because, like, oh, it's just them. Like, mm-hmm. it's all about them or whatever. I like that scene and, a lot. Uh, but then also just imagine them just, like, macking on each other, like, for, like, <laughs> 20 minutes while everyone's just watching. But um, the, the, the dream before, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before in Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> when they go to reveal, like, Tony Stark's vision of, like, all of his friends dying. Right. It's just, like... Did, did Joss Whedon take this from Breaking Dawn Part 1? Absolutely. But... I was going to say, did Avengers steal it from Twilight? Oh, fully. Uh, that's another thing I like that was like perfectly campy where it's just like romantic but scary but also kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the reveal, like pull back of the bodies and everything. I'm just like, what the hell? Like, but it's really cool. It's pretty evocative. So Yeah, it's definitely cool. Shall we move to the honeymoon? We, we've been in the wedding for yes. such a long time. Connery. Yes. The honeymoon in Rio de Janeiro. Mm. As they're leaving the wedding, there's wolf sounds about as they're driving away. Yes, the howls of pain that Jacob gives as they're about to leave on their honeymoon. So they're in Rio de Janeiro. They go to Isle Esme in a speedboat. And I'm like, this is big Miami Vice vibes (laughs) in the speedboat. There's even like an overhead wide, extreme wide shot of just the boat going in the middle of the frame. And I just imagine like Colin Farrell just being like drunk as hell driving a speedboat. (laughs) They end up on the island and tell me if I'm wrong, but it definitely like... I got like Frasier getaway episode vibes. I feel that that the episode where he takes that one girl to the island and Lilith is next door in the other cabana. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> this podcast is a stealth Frasier podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> that episode's fantastic. <laughs> Oscar worthy. But I feel like Tyler, we were, we were texting earlier today and we were just talking about how much we we just like the honeymoon a lot until Edward yeah. starts like being a dick and ruins it. Yeah, I like, it's just like, I mean, okay, it's just like, it's funny as hell when he breaks, like, the entire bed. <laughs> um, all that is funny. 
just like just gives them time to like hang out mm-hmm. and stuff. I wish that was just the rest of the movie. It's just good vibes, basically. They're playing chess, <laughs> which is the cover of the book. Yep. <laughs> the chess pieces. They're swimming around. The ocean looks really fake when they're in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't like it when Edward gets all emotional. Oh, I suck. But I also just like don't like how he's always wearing like a different color wife beater in each episode. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, th- I thought fair. his costuming was pretty bad on the honeymoon. Like he's totally just wearing fair. like khakis or like cargo shorts and like a, t- a tank top. But does anybody else have thoughts on that? I didn't notice he was wearing just different color white beaters to be totally honest because I feel like I was paying so much more attention to Bella and the fact that she like her big like sex prep scene where she like psychs herself out of her mind to like have sex with Edward for the first time, I guess. I don't know. I I just, I'd never noticed Edward. I I certainly noticed her a lot. And like I said, during this honeymoon, Bella's happy. And I really, really, really like her character happy. Just enjoying herself. Yeah. Because I haven't gotten to taste that for three movies. And getting this, (laughs) getting this happy person, getting this like woman who's in love and enjoying herself. I was like, this is such a breath of fresh air from like the past three movies where I was like, I'm not sure if you love this person. Now I'm like, yes, you're in love. You are so happy. I'm so, I am happy right now watching you. I guess that's the catalyst of how I feel about all this, where it's just like, oh, finally, it feels like they have a real relationship. And it's just like, oops, pregnant with a vampire baby. And the the movie just shifts dramatically. Mm -hmm. And it's like, shit, I was just getting into like them having a normal relationship. It all just comes crashing down in a wave of like thunder and pain and horror. Yeah, I, again, feel like it doesn't go all the way to the point where it should have been with them teasing and having fun. And there's a lot that they didn't keep in about just after their first time together having sex Edward is like so horrified that he could hurt her that he spends like a good chapter of the book and a good amount of time in their honeymoon just like trying to like keep her so busy that she's exhausted and so won't want to have sex and that's why she like tries to wear the sexy lingerie and that doesn't work to get him to have sex you with think her. You he just play a little bit like, more gentle. Like, he just learned his lesson. But I guess I can't shatter the bed when I have sex <laughs> with you. Like, I'll just, like, chill the hell out for a minute. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, is that they do end up having sex again. And he's like, oh, it was better this time. Like, I could handle myself better. And then they have sex a bunch more after that. Like, it, it stops the, like, craziness. Why doesn't what? he have, like, vampire condoms? birth control they or something that is a great question tyler you're asking the big question um <laughs> the answer is in the book and it's the fact that oh, no. they don't believe that vampires can spawn basically uh, because they're dead like they're not alive so like how could they have sex and have a baby as the result so- the other thing is that there is no proof of it happening before okay like they have tons of vampire history where it's never happened before and the only time when vampires would have sex with their victims right would be like incubuses or succubuses or succubi i guess incubi succubi dracula is that they would kill their victims after like it was just foreplay so it wouldn't ever result in anything because they wouldn't be alive that long Mm -hmm. 
So they didn't think it was possible. So that's why there's no condoms. Um, <laughs> Haley, your answer is actually a lot better than I would expect from the book in a way where it's just like, I was just thinking like, oh, in the book, is there some explanation just like vampire boners are too powerful or something? Like, <laughs> don't like it. Don't want to know. So I'm glad there's an explanation that isn't that in the book. Yeah, it comes down to lore. Yeah. And all again, like again with Stephanie Meyer and her like, Mormonism I don't think that she'd go that far into condoms or even what is going on she's very clear that like they start kissing and then black out to the next day and especially because she um, probably feels like condoms aren't necessary because they're married now yeah maybe I don't know I've never read into that but it's possible I don't know exactly how the Mormon faith plays into that it explains why there's it. no coffee in this movie Oh. <laughs> exactly man there's something i actually want to talk about that's relevant to the twilight movie and i've completely lost it now. <laughs> good oh right oh i remember now there's a thing where when bella's pregnant when she's first pregnant it, it, at the honeymoon and she's showing a little bit and edward has no clue what's going on he asks the housekeeper who is like Ugh. i don't know uh, who believes in that he's a demon and hey hate it yeah i hate it so much yeah that was a bad translation yeah it's and, just like oh this latin american woman she believes in witchcraft it's like this sucks yeah he was like what do you this think is, is going she's like written. uh you're a demon and you have a demon inside you lady and i'm like what positive thing do you th would you hope to get from this scene at all <laughs> yeah it was bad yeah, it, it, it's pretty bad and then even later when edward's like oh i'll pour through the mythology of like the world to figure out how to deal with this i'm like why do you bother doing that every single thing we know about vampires is wrong so why would you pour through human mythology about vampires not all of it all of it like they, they drink blood they appear they they appear in mirrors they don't have fangs they they are super strong and drink blood but that's about the only characteristics that make them a vampire other than and and like hypnosis and all that, all that crap but all and the, they have special abilities sometimes yeah special abilities but other than that there's really nothing to go through in like human mythology to be like Oh yeah, he, he, here's a story to like explain it away because all these vampires, I feel like Stephanie Meyer's even whole brand about these vampire characters are, they are not what we thought they were. And so I was just really curious during that scene of being like, why bother looking at human mythology? Don't you guys have like vampire records or like things you could go through to be like, this is how our kind works. Unless they're just really, really bad <laughs> at keeping up like scientific records of like how vampires work and i'm probably being the asshole here of being like well, how come this doesn't work no i think that's fair I, I i'm going to go out on a limb and say that if i were to rationalize it it would be that the volturi would be the most likely to hold on to that vampire record You're right. of you know truth and that they don't want to have to involve the volturi mm -hmm. in any aspect of this because they, the Volturi, as we know from the end credit scene, and also <laughs> yes. just in general, find the Cullens a huge threat. Mm -hmm. So that's me rationalizing a very good question. But that makes sense. Like I, I agree with you now that like the Volturi probably have all the records. Yeah, the Volturi would have all the old tomes and stuff, and the Cullens are living this freewheeling new lifestyle. <laughs> and I like the end credit <laughs> sequence because Michael Sheen just seems like he's just kind of jealous of Carlisle and his clan. <laughs> he's just like, look at them yeah. living their life. Like, I'm trapped by, like, he doesn't say any of this. I'm just internalizing all of this. <laughs> but it's just like, 
I'm living this like monastic life. I, I have all this power, but at what cost? Yeah. <laughs> like, he can't be a free person. Yeah, he's like, I, I have no freedom. I have no family. Yeah, I mean, again, that's just how good Michael Sheen is. He like got all that across in one scene. <laughs> yeah, a little post credits. <laughs> yeah, post credits. Um, I was just gonna wrap up basically with the whole birth scene. Oof. Uh, unless you have something else you want to talk about, Ailey, because I know you did a bunch of research, so I don't want to, like... I want it to feel worth your time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't want this to be 100 hours. We're going to do Breaking Dawn Part 1, Part 2 before we get to Breaking <laughs> Dawn Part 2, Part 1. <laughs> exactly. Do you think, like, with the whole pregnant scene, I think that we sort of skimmed over a little bit the fact that, like, Jacob does break away from his pack. He says no to Sam, makes his own pack. Mm-hmm. Leah joins him, and so does Seth. I freaking love Seth. Seth is everything. He is just a little cinnamon roll. He's gooey and sweet and he, he put on a shirt for the wedding. Thank God. Exactly. <laughs> He's he not worships wearing Edward. He just like has severe and his mom is in love with Bella's dad. It's just a lot. Oh yeah. I do like that little thing. Yeah. Wait, wait, hold on yeah. a second. What? <laughs> That's in the movie? Yeah. I didn't it's notice that at alluded all. To. Bella's um, dad and Seth and Leah's mom, the Clearwater Ma Sue, I think her name is Sue Clearwater. Is she uh, Billy's sister? Because Billy's always hanging out with Charlie. That is a good question. I'd have to go back and like figure it out. Yeah, maybe, but I don't. I don't know. But I did I like that. I like how like how uh, not vague, but how slight that all was because mm. it wasn't like yeah. the most important thing. But it's growth for Charlie, like you said. Like uh, Edward doesn't really grow throughout this, but Charlie is the most fascinating character in a lot of ways because <laughs> he is just a straight man, but he's also like growing because. In Eclipse, Bella's like, hey, Dad, how come you never remarried? And he's just like, probably didn't, just didn't really think about it too much. He's like, oh, I'm just focusing on raising my daughter mm-hmm. and Even doing my job, you know? Even though he was part of her life for, like, majority of her life. Yeah. Anyway. And then now he's finally dating someone because she's graduated yeah. high school and she's moving out, I guess. She's married. a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> well, the vampire dad and the werewolf mom. Hey. It's a perfect match. Mm-hmm. Wait, can she turn? No. So that was something that I thought I had a different interpretation than when I was listening to your last podcast. From my understanding, the elders, this new group, like Sam was the first one to turn, right? And he only turned because the vampires became a threat again. Mm -hmm. But their parents were not werewolves. Okay. From my understanding, they didn't get the curse because the Cullens weren't part of their lives. Like there were no vampires there to trigger it. Interesting. So the werewolf gene kind of activates when vampires are near? Yes. Interesting. That's cool. I like that. I think that's explained in New Moon. Sam came a werewolf and then that's why all of the other young kids of the pack started becoming werewolves was because the colons were back. Mm. Well, that's cool. I like it's like a super defense mechanism. I like I like that a lot. Yeah, and that's also that adds fuel to Sam's fire when he's like we're here like your role is to defend this town. The reason why you are who you are is because of the colons being here. Mm. Well, that's tight. I like that. <laughs> So no, Billy and like all of them were never werewolves. Hmm, interesting. I'm kind of bummed out because I, I wish Billy could become a werewolf and would just be like an old man wolf would be really, really tight, but we never get that. That would be cool. Billy or Charlie? Oh, Billy. 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 Charlie um, is just 100% the straight If man. Charlie became a werewolf, that'd be a little bit too much. Yeah, I was going to say like, because <laughs> I always get a mix up because Charlie, the actor's name is Billy Burke. Uh. 
Billy, Charlie, Charlie, Billy. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, come on, Connery, that's a bit too much. <laughs> it is. I, I, I wouldn't really be okay with that because he is very much the the human detective, and I, I would want to keep him that way. So Jacob and Seth and Leah leave the pack, which I think is brilliant because I think that Seth is very much wants peace between all. Like, he doesn't care. He's just a little cinnamon roll. Jacob is very selfish, as we've mentioned, so he isn't going to follow the pack anyways. And Leah needed to get out of that toxic environment. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, this sort of weird, they're the outcasts, They've created mm-hmm. their own little pack, and then they help the Cullens. And I love that moment that Esme comes out and gives them sandwiches, yeah. like this sort yeah. of like bridging divides. You really see it a lot in Jacob's chapter, where like you are reading through his process of overcoming prejudice, and also they're overcoming prejudice because they both need each other to protect Bella from the main pack at that point Mm -hmm. which I think is like a cool moment that sort of like glazed over in the movie like the idea that like the vampires and the werewolves again not just like an eclipse but even more like they've actually accepted each other yeah that scene baffles me so much when they're like oh Bella's dying it's eating from the inside out we don't know what to do I feel like and and they're like oh Jacob great idea and I'm like you have a vampire doctor here who you think his first instinct would be like this thing's half vampire. I think we should give it blood. He doesn't ever think of that. He just kind of resigns Bella to death almost immediately, which I, I was I was rather shocked about. I'm like, how? I don't know. It just seems like pretty specific because like he does say and Jacob say, I think they both say that like she should abort the baby or something. They do both like, say to abort it. Yeah. It's like very like <laughs> very direct about that. Right, Haley? <laughs> Yeah, it's Um, really clear, especially, I don't think that they show it as well in the movies, but, like, Carlisle, Edward, and Alice all want the baby gone. They all think that Bella is better off without the kid, without the fetus that's killing her. That's the only way to save her. And then Esme and Emmett and Rosalie, because mostly spearheaded by Rosalie, Mm -hmm. all want to keep the baby. And Rosalie does it for very selfish reasons. Yeah, because she definitely wants that baby to be like, this is my baby now. Like, she's counting on Bella dying, and she wants to keep that baby. (laughs) She definitely doesn't care about Bella. She definitely cares most about the baby. Yeah. And then Emmett's not going to go against her. And then Esme wanted kids too. Alice, I think, is afraid because she can't see the baby's future and therefore can't see Bella's future. Yeah. Um, and and the, So I think that it's fear that rules her. Yeah, and, and the fact that she... Well, she, she calls it fetus a lot. This movie just makes a very interesting just argument about being pro-abortion or anti-abortion, which is really odd to me. Yeah, I definitely, definitely. did not expect it. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I was this like... This the thing. It's like all the stuff with her like religious background and everything really doesn't come to the surface until it becomes like very to the surface in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, whoa, like, whoa, oh, okay, like... I don't know how to feel about any of these movies anymore. Yeah, where Rosalie's like, where Alice's like, we have to like get rid of this fetus. It's killing you. And then and then Rosalie says, it's a baby. Call it a baby. And I'm like, like oh my mm-hmm. God. Like, okay. like and it, she, But she doesn't care about Bella. She really cares about having a baby because mm-hmm. that's what she feels like she missed out on. And that's the reason, that's the sole reason why she doesn't want Bella to become a vampire. I think that there's some really interesting thoughts and feelings just about the idea that a woman's full arc 
because again we talk about Bella coming like to full becoming at the end of this movie Mm -hmm. and part of that is like her having a baby which I think is sort of an expression of a subconscious perhaps Stephanie Myers being like women become their full person by becoming mothers yeah which is something that the media really does portray a lot, which sucks. Yeah, which sucks, <laughs> but is like a thing like that is a thing that people and the media specifically push the idea that like you are a full becoming. You are no longer a child or a woman or a person. You are now a mother. You've made it. Yeah, that scene makes so much sense for at least Rosalie's character when she's holding that baby. I'm like, she's so happy right now. Like Bella's dead. Maybe Edward will love her again. Like probably the person she actually maybe is into and oh interesting and she has a baby like she has what she's always wanted and this annoying humans out of the way and then and then jake is about to like eat her i guess and the baby but then falls in love with the cgi baby and and, and it's weird the, the movie tries. Yeah, you guys can have fun with that in part two yeah the movie tries its, its damnedest to be to show us like pictures of her growing up but Especially with all that's happened right now, like, he's just going to groom that kid to, like, fall in love with him, and it's creepy as hell. Yeah, the whole imprinting thing on a child is an interesting social experiment. Social experiment. Gross. Because they do try to preface it, at least in the book. And they, no, they do it in the movie, too. They show Quill with the child, and you just are a brother, and then you are a friend, and then you are a lover. But ultimately, (laughs) he will be her lover. It's like, that's his end game. And that's why I'm like, the rest of the thing, I'm like, you'll be whatever you want to be, a brother, a friend. I'm like, like, no, you'll go from Uncle Jacob to Lover Jacob as soon as she hits 18. Like, I guarantee uh, it. Yeah. It's, it's the worst. Jacob's definitely in the flight logs, you could say. <laughs> the flight yeah. logs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So, weird. But yeah, the, the her choice, I, I don't know. That's like, these are things that are good, I think, to think of listening to this podcast. Like, what you believe and what you think. The I, You know, it's very much a good starting off point for your moral compass of what you think is right and wrong and she puts her own twist to it she says definitely you know stephanie myers is a mormon she put that in there that is her bit we asked the big morality questions here on the franchise i gotta say (laughs) (laughs) what i think is don't be a pedo don't be a pedo (laughs) exactly and we should hold that above all all other things Agreed. I feel like we didn't really touch on Bella turning into a skeleton that much, and it, it's horrifying. It, it's horrifying. I wrote, I wrote a note. I said it's the second worst transformation in cinema. <laughs> What's the first? Uh, when they find ET in like the trash river, and he's all gray and disgusting. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think the less we dwell in like the horror aspect of this movie, the better, because uh, all the actual substance is like I, I feel during the wedding and the honeymoon, and then the rest of it is really just pain and suffering for Bella, and it, it's so upsetting. Which is why it's nice in the book when it's in Jacob's perspective, mm-hmm. because you're not with Bella for this. You're like in his head dealing with like pack politics Mm, that must be such a relief it's just like fun it's like just a much better transition and then you're seeing the horror of bella's transformation through his eyes Mm -hmm. but you're not like in it like with her until the end where the ending scene of this 
whole thing. It's like her in intense pain watching as like they pull her apart. Yeah. Edward like doing then... CPR on her and just biting her to bits and like they're giving her a C-section at the same time. Uh... I will okay, so like there's that scene in Prometheus <laughs> Where she's in the machine, the surgery machine, because she has oh, an alien in her, and it's right. supposed to be like a really gruesome scene. I think the scene is worse than that. It is. Like, yeah. It's so bloody and so aggressive. It's just so much. This was actually a huge controversy because everybody who read the books and was a fan wanted this movie to be R-rated because actually in the books, it's even worse oh. the way that they describe yeah. This scene Why? of the birth. Why would you want well, to see it happen though? That's just honestly like I I like okay, so it's like just from a writing perspective, I didn't read the books, obviously, but it's just like, if you're going to write a series of books, it's just a weird flex to, like, make the fourth book suddenly ex- incredibly gruesome compared to the other ones. And then, like, especially expecting that to become a movie at some point. I don't know when well, she Well, and the she book, didn't, but, again. Yeah. She, like, she wasn't sure if this book could become a movie for the Renesmee aspect, which you'll see finale, but also because of this part where she's giving birth and also because of the sex scenes in the honeymoon, you know, like all of those three things really made it sort of feel like maybe the fourth book was impossible. And mm-hmm. also like the end, I think their contracts were up at the end of the third movie. Oh. Maybe it was the end of the fourth one. Uh, so from, from what I read, it was they were contracted for four movies, but then they wanted to make five movies. The fifth. Because... Oh, okay. So it was like even more of a problem. <laughs> so they were like, this is just a whole hot mess. I had to beg Robert yeah. Patterson to come back. So he's like, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, probably Kristen Stewart was done too at that point too. Yeah, Taylor Lautner, all of them. Yeah. He was like, dream, dream, dream. Dream, um, dream, 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 dream. Dream, dream. Um, yeah, but like everybody really wanted this one to be rated R. And then the studio, I think... Think, if I remember correctly of the drama of this movie, it was like the studio wanted it to be PG-13 because most of the fans were under 17. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Me. Like just from a movie franchise perspective, if like you're trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> and releasing a movie like six months after the last one, you're like, hey, let, maybe let's not make this incredibly gruesome. <laughs> yeah, but they still get a pretty damn good job with a PG-13 rating, considering no. the outcome of the end of this book. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was very movie. uncomfortable just watching that whole hour afterwards. I was just really had a hard time sitting through it. It's not fun to watch, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like this one especially is very much more horror, like a horror romance mm-hmm. rather than like a drama romance. Yeah, absolutely. It's just straight body horror too. Like, yeah. again, I've seen the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of Cronenberg movies. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've seen. <laughs> yeah, when, when she like, like it. when she takes off her robe and you see like just how like withered away she is, I was just like, Masticated. I was like, geez, like this is like an A24 horror movie right now. Like this is a lot. It's definitely not like what you expect from a teen vampire romance. Exactly. And I think that's my the main gut punch for me, which is I just fundamentally did not expect it to go where it went. Well, I'm excited for you guys to finish out this epic saga with your last movie and hear how you guys feel about what happens there because it is a drastically different movie Ugh. than yeah. this one. 
it's so weird how like it's like the subgenre of the movies changed drastically throughout which is something i really appreciate and but it ends up being a mixed bag the first one is straight like almost like straight romance movie mm-hmm. with like some it's not even like really horror it's just that he's a vampire yeah high school romance <laughs> vampire yeah, and then yeah. New Moon, I guess it's kind of another, like, relationship kind of movie. And mm-hmm. then the third one's, like, trying to be this, like, epic war movie in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways. And then this one is, like, more, like, body horror from more of an homage to the first movie of romance and stuff to, like, extreme body horror. And so it's just, like, it's just, it has a lot more of, like, diverse genre tones mm-hmm. throughout this franchise, which I appreciate, but sometimes I'm just, like... No, <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> no. So it's really interesting how much it changes, but it's still a cohesive story. Mm-hmm. Oh, that reminds me. This is a total throwback, but I had this thought when you were talking, Tyler, about like how it's like this selfless love and they keep missing each other with arrows. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the fact that the first book is really heavily influenced and like alludes to Romeo and Juliet. Oh, and yeah. then the second book heavily alludes to Wuthering Heights. Oh. And both of those are deeply dysfunctional romances where yeah. each person in the first one, in Romeo and Juliet, the main protagonist lovers <laughs> are deeply selfless, right? Like or and yeah. selfish all at the same time. Where That's like exactly... they miss each other because they're like they kill each other for the other. Right? Like, yeah. I'm going to kill myself for you. And then in Wuthering Heights, both of them are so deeply selfish and so obsessed with each other that they miss each other as well entirely as romantic partners. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just plays into that idea of like arrows flying over each other. Like, there's such this idea of like the idealized selfless love that, in fact, is that even really what the love is if there's no real relationship that can come yeah. out of it? Mm-hmm. Like, it is, in fact, dumb as hell. (laughs) You should be aiming at the same target and not just shooting in different directions. Maybe don't kill yourself because you think the other person's dead instead of, like, just figuring out what's going on. Just take a minute, bro. That's the whole thing with Romeo and Juliet. Wait literally five seconds. If only they had cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But, yeah, that's a a really good point. Anybody have anything else to add about this movie before we leave? (laughs) I think we have... Talked about this at nauseum. We, we have. <laughs> We've gone it, through it all. I feel like there's so much more I I could bring up, but for the most part, I feel like we we covered honestly anything I want to actually talk about about this movie and and the fact that it's it was such a shock to me and I am interested. I feel like every single one of these movies I've watched, they've thrown me for a loop throughout. Like, yeah, consistently, it, I have yeah. always been out of step with this franchise. <laughs> The floors keep changing. Yeah, below you, it's just like the hell. I thought it was like over here, and then it's just like yeah, it, exactly that. Like I, I, I said this in um Eclipse too, where I like I was like Twilight first movie goth romance couldn't really relate to it. Second movie I was starting to get like, in step where I was like okay, like I kind of understand what's going on now. Like let's get to it. Third movie hits. It's a it's a war movie, like Tyler said, basically. And I was kind of like, no, I, I thought we were doing a romance movie. I don't think I like this. And then we shift to body horror after like a really like happy period. Where I'm like, yeah, it is romance. Like I'm kind of like doing this. Then I'm like, oh no, everything's horrible and terrible. Ah, right. this movie in particular is like whiplash because it's like two different tone moves in ones. Because it's like, oh, it's so nice, and all of a sudden it's. But I guess that is the melodrama itself too. Mm-hmm. Like that's what a melodramatic movie is. It's like everything's real nice, and all of a sudden there's like intense drama <laughs> but i i am ultimately i'm looking forward to part two i'm really interested in what it's gonna bring me next and i'll try to <laughs> i'm gonna go with no expectations i'm just gonna be like 
Give it to me, Raw. Let's see what happens. I like it when her eyes open and they're red, and then the end credits are fun because they're like different colors. Yeah, they're like black and red over and <laughs> yeah. over again. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> nice touch. Nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> Haley, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. I feel like I was like kind of all over the place on this one. It was just a strange movie to me. <laughs> it, it's a strange movie, and we had a very strange night. So Yeah, that's for True. sure. I think I gave this like two and a half out of five on Letterboxd, and I really wanted to give it two because of how horrified I was, but I'm like, but I like all the other stuff a lot. So, But yeah, Haley, do you have anything to plug before we leave? No plugs. I'm just trying to get through this this year. <laughs> you should start a Breaking Dawn Part 1 podcast. Yeah. There you go. There's... It could go on for years. <laughs> Lord knows this episode has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. You need to cut a lot of it. Yeah, it wasn't my fault, that's for sure. There's this podcast where it's like one minute of a film at a time per episode. Oh, boy. You should do that for Twilight. You'll be done in like 2036. <laughs> yeah. Or when I'm 2036. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm blown. That's good. Connie, what All do you right. have to plug? If you enjoy the sound of my voice and you also enjoy role-playing games, you might want to check out Starship Impala. It's a actual play podcast hosted by me and four other friends, and we play the Starfinder game. It's always so much fun. We have 100-plus hours waiting for you to devour, so check it out if you get a chance. Haley's on an, uh, epi- on, on an episode. <laughs> I, I'm on two, or... At least, right? You're, you're on one. You're on a whatever happened to Swarm. Oh, I thought that was cut into two episodes. No, That's I... Fine. For the schedule, it was like a two-hour episode with like the four of you just going <laughs> oh, crazy. So it's a precedent. Oh. I'm on really long episodes. Yeah, you're on a really long episode. <laughs> Really long episodes where Connery goes to the bathroom for 40 minutes, because that's totally what happened. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> Follow me on Instagram at twained, T-W-A-Y-N-E-D. I've done some photo shoots recently, and uh, maybe I'll, I will have posted them on Instagram. Ooh. Who knows? You posted uh, Alyssa's uh, already, so I feel you stayed true to that. No, I didn't I didn't post hers. I just shared the pictures that she posted. Ah, oh, fudge. <laughs> Past to future guest, Alyssa Wise. <laughs> hey, speaking <gasps> of which, she'll be on next week's episode. Dun, dun, dun. On Breaking Dawn Part 2. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Tiami Vice to see me. I just retweeted a bunch of Robert Pattinson memes. <laughs> you did. Which, which will now be a week old. Uh, <laughs> follow us at thefranchisepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, email us with any comments, questions. Read them out on air. <laughs> if there's anything you want us to cover. If you have anything you want to say about Twilight. Email us something. I used to say sign us up for spam, but nobody even did that. So, <laughs> so email us, please. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at the franchise and Twitter at the franchise and on Facebook. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us grow the pod. And I'm finding other ways because I reached out to a bunch of people, and uh, people with Androids sometimes don't have Apple Podcasts. So I'm figuring <gasps> that out. So I'll let you know. <laughs> nice. We're expanding. We're going global, baby. And on that note, I just opened my eyes uh, after everyone thought I was dead. Cut to black. (laughs) 